Welcome to the Swingers Club, a social gathering for various golfers hosted by Joe, Matt and Sam. Hello again, ladies and gents. You are back with the Swingers Club and we have another jam-packed show for you. And I actually mean jam-packed, so strap in. But first of all, I'd love to hear, boys, how, how's your week been? Sam, how, how have you been, mate? Uh, yeah, been all right, to be honest. I'm sort of bit of sort of strange reversions back to a sort of teenage I'm a bit of a mixture between a teenager and an old man really at the moment sort of sleeping like 11 hours a night but what but I'm sort of paying more attention to my like lawn stroke garden so <laughs> sort of like a, a strange mixture of 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 what I used to be like and what maybe what I'm gonna be like <laughs> oh, that's, that's great <laughs> nice one that <laughs> Oh God, Matt, <laughs> how have you been, Matt? Matt, and don't feel like you need to hold back any details about maybe any mishaps that may or may not have happened during your golf practice over the Thanks. last week. Thanks for that joke. Um, yeah, I'm alright. I'm I'm trying to be a bit more upbeat. I'm trying to be a bit more positive. Um, yeah, otherwise it's just you, you just like you know I'm I'm I am bored. You know I'm I'm bored during the day. I'm bored during in, in the evening. There's not a lot happening. Um, you know, I'm getting up and I'm having me run, and then it's like, what, what do you do next? And yeah, so I've been hitting a few balls, and uh, you want me to tell you about the incident, didn't you? I know that's what you're here. <laughs> well, just gonna, I want you to pretend that Joe, we didn't all hear Joe just crack open a beer as we were waiting to hear the story. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know that little chat we have. You know that little chat we have beforehand, where where we we kind of like hit record. <laughs> Yeah, the, yeah. the listeners might not know that technically we hit and record a lot earlier than kind of when Joe does his intro. So we have got a little bit of stuff there that we could maybe slip into the podcast, a, a little pre-podcast <laughs> chat that we have. Um, well, I don't know you make that. it sound really, you make it sound more organised than what it is. It's basically two minutes where we sort of panic as to what we may potentially talk about. Yeah. Yeah, well, speaking of panic... So I'll, I'll talk you through. So I, for those of you that have, you, you may have seen my uh, my at home golf setup that I've got. Um, basically, there, there was a construction that I'd made in the garden, and the winds put put pay to that. And what I actually done in the end is I managed to get two bed sheets and uh, sewed them together, and then hung it from the doorway of my garage. So if you haven't seen the pictures, um, I'll try and kind of describe it. Basically, I'm kind of stood outside the garage. I've got these, uh, I've got a couple of mats that I put down on the concrete floor. And as I open the garage door, the bed sheets is just already there hanging down. And I'm basically hitting balls in towards the garage, hitting them into the bed sheet. And it's working absolutely fine. So what, what happened was as it started to get a little bit windier, the bed sheet started to rise at the bottom a little bit. So I had to actually run a plank of wood along the bottom and I kind of nailed the, the bottom bed sheet to the wood. So even when it was blow, it didn't go anywhere, but... To cut a long story short, I caught one a little bit thin over the weekend. Um, and <laughs> like the actual... This is the longest story ever, by the way. Yeah, basically, so I caught one a little bit thin. And it's before I've even realised what's happened, I've, you know, the, the sound of the ball hitting this bit of wood and the realisation is that I, I don't know where the ball's gone. Um, you know, and I'm kind of that split second when it happens, you know what's happened. You don't know where the ball is you're just thankful that it hasn't kind of come back and hit you anywhere because if it had done, it really would have hurt. But then you're like, shit, where's the ball? And like, you're looking up, like there's no cars around. Luckily you're looking up, you're looking around, like 
where is the ball? And you kind of, you stand still. And you know, you have those moments on the course where someone's ball is hurtling towards the trees and everyone's quiet because you're waiting for it to hit something. And I'm stood there and it felt like it went on for about a minute. It was the longest five or six seconds of my life before I heard this crash. And so there was I a actually crash. don't, uh, well, I, it, I don't know whether it was something smashing, something breaking, a ball hitting a tile. Um, I actually don't know, but it was a noise that I didn't like the sound of. <laughs> um, so I couldn't, I couldn't like in true, in true like childish fashion, I couldn't get the garage door up quick enough. Oh. And I literally <laughs> run into the house. Um, yeah. And you, <laughs> and, uh, you scouted from your top, your, uh, yeah, your top so, floor so, to see if you could see what it may or may not have hit, didn't you? I enjoyed them. But basically, yeah, but basically, I uh, we've we've got a, like a loft conversion where I, I sit up there and do a bit of work in the office at the top. So I went up and opened the top window and I was looking out and I was trying to see like where where it could have landed. I couldn't see anybody out looking at anything. Um, you know, next next door next door but one to me is um, is actually a dentist, uh, and they've got loads of sheds and stuff in the garden where they where they keep stuff, but. You know, if there's any damage there, those those guys are not about at the minute, I don't think, anyway. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it was in the air for a long old time. A long old time. And God knows how far it went. But (laughs) it was so funny. That reminds me me so much of, like, I saw this tweet the other day that had me laughing. It was like, um, the guy, he's bought a football because he's been so bored during lockdown. And he said he was about to break his keepy-uppy record. And he got at... He lost sort of lost control of the ball and it went over the fence. He said, "So I had to go and had to go to my next door neighbours who I barely know and ask for my ball back." I'm thirty six. I'm thirty six <laughs> years old. <laughs> oh, brilliant! So you, but you, it sounds like you just sacrificed your ball, Matthew. There's no, uh, there's no. Yeah, sandwich. well, I wasn't. To be honest, like, I'm, I'm not going to say where it was stolen from, but it was a, a full on yellow tightless practice ball. Um, it came off of uh, a, a range, driving range somewhere. Um, so yes, yeah, so I'm not, I'm not in a rush to go and get that back, really. But I did go out there yesterday and kind of, uh, I basically, I, I chopped the uh, the bit of wood that holds the sheets down. I kind of chopped it uh, and and kind of moved them left and right, if you like. And so now there's a gap in the middle. So the so next time I hit one pin, one, you're fine. Yeah, I, I call it the thin window. <clears throat> so basically, if I do thin one again, it shouldn't hit anything. No, um, very good. Very, yeah, very good. so that was entertaining. That was good fun. But I've also been doing a lot of uh, a lot of the drills with the alignment stick in the garden. The old at home with Cardi Golf slash Borgen Thank Golf. Thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that one was stolen. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Joe? How's your, how's your week been? Ah, oh, it's been pretty much the same as every other week since I've been on this lockdown. I'm actually quite glad today that it's back to school, isn't it? We've had the Easter holidays, so we start homeschooling again. So this morning I've been learning about the Great Fire of London. 1066. No, that's the Hastings. Hastings. Come on, yeah, come on It's close though. 1666. Ah, oh, no, it had sixes in. Uh, a point for anyone that can tell me who wrote a diary about it. No, oh, I've got no idea. Take that to know. Chuckle Samuel Peeps. Oh yeah. Uh, no. I've heard of that name. Anyone know where it started? In London. That's true. It is. Yeah, the ba- ba- bakers in London. Yeah, they flicked a pudding lane. Pudding lane, that's it. They flicked a a, a mattress into a bit of hay. Nah, he just forgot to turn his oven off. Nah, I'm not having that, mate. 
basically. It wasn't it wasn't like an oven like me and you know. It was kind of like I think that it go. It, they said something like he forgot to blow the embers out, but he essentially forgot to turn the oven off. Anyway, this isn't yeah. about the Great Fire of London. Um, <laughs> we need to get should, out more. Should, should we get on with it, lads? We um, we have got a crack on. There's loads of stuff to get through including a little bit later on how the Swingers Club are going to save the Open Championship. So everyone hang on for that. But we want to start getting through some of the subjects that you guys, the, the listeners, have put to us. Um, and by the way, we are ever so grateful for all those, by the way. And don't stop, don't stop sending those in. Um, if we don't get to yours today, then apologies. We, we will almost certainly get to it at some point. Uh, the one we're going to start with today actually coming about two weeks ago from Kieran Izzet on Instagram and he basically wanted us to discuss um, it was quite to the point, he just said technique versus athletic ability, so I think he wants us to discuss um, kind of what trumps what does everyone yep. get my meaning? I think so, I understand okay who wants, who wants to lead us um, off or would you like I reckon to? you go I'm quite pleased to go, actually, because I- I'm going to sit on the oh, fence what? somewhat. So that means you two can still argue it out. <laughs> Basically, I'm thinking um, there are a lot of golfers with amazing techniques and there are a lot of golfers um, who have tremendous athletic ability. Some make it, some don't. Um, but if you actually think about best golfs in the world, and I mean like household names, so Rory, DJ, let's say Brooks, Tiger... John Rahm they've got both yeah so they, they all have amazing technique and I know there's an argument which is a completely different argument for another day that maybe DJ doesn't or Rahm doesn't but for me I think their techniques are wonderful might not be textbook but they're their techniques and I think they're brilliant they have both in bundles um, so that's why I'm sitting on the fence essentially I think that if, if I had a gun to my head and I had to pick which one was most important, I'd say that maybe technique was king because um, it's personal to you and you can you can go a long way with amazing technique if you're not kind of a macho man. Um, but to become world-class, you definitely need to add serious athletic ability to to your technique is where I'm at, I think. Interesting. So, we are we are we talking? Do you know what I mean about like the technique? Like, sort of at the professional level here. Are we talking at the sort of amateur level? I don't really. Know. Is it just? I think. I think everything level really. I mean, I I is even when I was thinking about this and I was thinking about what is actually better because it isn't it isn't like that straightforward. I, I was thinking to myself, and I had an example I had in my head of there's a young girl who practices at one of the ranges. Um, I coach her and I don't know her from Adam I've just seen her seen her swing I don't coach her or anything like that but she has like such a good swing you know occasionally you see them yeah, yeah. just swing it pure yeah and I, and I was thinking about her and and then I was thinking about someone completely opposite who is just a brute and they're like mega mega strong I could I could name a load of my mates um, not necessarily golfers and therefore because they're not golfers they have zero golfing technique like if, if they played golf against each other, she would. Definitely oh yeah, win. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. So that's why I'm thinking technique is still king, but the idea of what's a good technique is, like I said, a completely different question. Yeah, I was thinking. Yeah, technique is, so it is a difficult question to be fair because 
when you're saying technique, what are you saying like basically the the sort of aesthetics of the swing, really, aren't you? You're not really talking about its function. Yeah. You're talking about what it looks like. Yeah, I think I, I think so, and I think that's where the question yeah. goes. Yeah, I see what you're saying. You are kind of sitting on the fence there, really. Oh, big time! Uh, oh, who wants to go, Matt? You go next, Matt. <laughs> um, so I, I, I would probably lean more towards the technique side of things. Um, I think, I think that you can. I think if you want to compete at the highest level. Then that's when you need the 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 athlete the athleticism that would would kind of go hand in hand with it. And I think I think you know we we kind of saw a shift in what was needed in golf when when Tiger Woods come onto the scene because you know he was probably the first. Although there are maybe one or two others that would tell you otherwise, but he was the first really that I would say kind of had you know technique was absolutely spot on and he mixed it with you know the the fitness and the athleticism um you know and obviously everybody knows what happens with him and his career so i, I would i would say that i would say that whilst the 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 technique side of things you know I, I do think you've got players as well that can get by on technique which is not textbook but then I maybe contradict myself a little bit. Like, what what is textbook nowadays? Like, we see so many different swings, and players are doing things so many different ways. Like, textbook for me is is basically if you can if you can get the club head, you know, in the ideal position at, at impact. It doesn't really matter what happens before and after. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, we we you know everybody loves to watch Rory McIlroy swing. People will tell you that Adam Scott's got a very easy on the ice swing and. Um, Louis Eusthuizen's another one. If you said, "Oh, who's the best swinger on tour?" But then you've got someone like Jim Furyk, for example, who looks like an octopus falling out of a tree, but has had a, a, an immensely successful career and earned a lot of money because ultimately yep. he gets that clubhead back in the right position at impact. Yeah. Um, and even even in you know even as we've mentioned the the top guys in the world, you know, you look at somebody like Ricky Fowler compared to John Rahm. You know, there's there's two completely different golf swings right there, but ultimately they're you know they're, they're able to square things up when 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 they need to. Yeah. Um, so whilst I would say that you know is is that is that technique you know technically if you if you said I suppose it is yeah I, I would lean towards textbook uh, technique sorry than athleticism because there are also you know people that are maybe not as fit as the Rory McIlroys and Brooks Kepkers that could still compete. You know it's. It's a tough one, I think, because I don't, want to, I don't want to go off on a tangent. But you've got, you know, you you take you take someone like Justin Thomas. I think is a good example because, you know, he's not he's not built like Brooks Kepka is, for example. But you know, he can hold his own. He can compete, and you wouldn't necessarily say that he's not an athlete. But then he's not in the same. You know, you wouldn't put him in the same category as. Brooks yeah, Kepka, I for think example, if, you put, then... if you put yeah, I agree. Justin Thomas's swing on Brooks Kepka, how far is it going? Uh, well, you think well, he swings it a lot? Basically, better, he's but... like he's probably two thirds or about he's probably two thirds the weight of Brooks Kepka, isn't he? And he's probably, do you know what I mean? If you yeah, put that, that's what you're saying. Uh, JT swing, especially with driver, he scales it in a lot with irons, doesn't he? But if you look at mm. your driver swing, 
I mean, he's he's so flat out on it, isn't he? And he hits, he it, hits it. He hits it, hits it hits far. It's probably further than Brooks Kepka, I think. Yeah, and which, that, yeah, that's a solid and that, point. And, and, and that is yeah, your so technique that, as well, you know. And 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 even 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 Rory McIlroy, you know, it's not a big, you know. And obviously he's 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 fit and he's you know he's he's put on a lot of muscle over the last few years. But you know, you, you stood him next to somebody like Brooks Kepka, and you, in my opinion, and John Rahm, for example, you're looking at like two different yeah. kind of frames. I think there, what people, yeah, what Rory people don't really understand a lot about the working out and stuff is it's so much more about like how your how your base can then work for you rather than the actual like people see the weight training as though it's purely for distance but really so much of it is like being able to hold your posture like that much better so you see like the yeah. like for example my my younger brother is like a bean pole or he was he's a bit thicker now but you watch his swing he's sweet he's got a great swing yeah. but his legs are like his legs were so yeah. thin like back in the day that he literally just, they're just not really strong enough to support the frame which he's trying to swing it at. So he just lost control. Mm, it's interesting. He's massive. He's, <laughs> he's like 10 foot four, four in your brother. But yeah, I, my sort of take on it was uh, I actually did a little bit of research, looked at some fucking, some really weird swings. Uh, like weird, sweet, weird, weird swings <laughs> on tour. Obviously, got like. Matt Wolf's kind of the one recently, isn't he? But like, I always think Jeeve Milker swing yeah. is one, is a classic. And then uh, Eamon Darcy is a personal yeah. favourite. If nobody's seen Eamon Darcy's swing, you've got to search that. That's absolutely classic. Um, but it's similar to Matt, really. I think, I mean, you've, got to just, you've just got to square it up, haven't you, really? That's essentially all you're trying to do. But I think there are, there are I mean... Oh, totally. You'd probably use them as exceptions to the rule, right? Probably more than anything, wouldn't you? I would say um, that. Would you? So you put that in the their ability is therefore compensating for your for their technique. Sorry, would you say that, or would you say that their their technique just basically they've they've put the hours into where they know what they're doing with it? Is that the way you would see it, or is that just? Yeah, I would see it exactly like that. I don't. I don't think it's compensating for anything necessarily. I just think. I think. I think in terms of technique, and again, it's going off on the tangent a little bit, but as as long as it's repeatable, and like Matt says, you can you can bring it back to square over and over again. It really matters not what it looks like, and that's what constitutes great technique for me. Is that you mm. can do it over and over again, and I just think you can have the best technique in the world, and then you add athletic ability to it after that. And the best technique in the world for me defines as whatever works. But my, so I've got, well, I, I, when I was thinking about this, because like we said we we're going to do this as a topic earlier, I got thinking where mm. in Tiger's first major or the first major that he won at the Masters, he won by 12 shots when he was in 90, in 97. He then pretty much about a year or two after that, then decided to pretty much, totally changes technique so do you not yes it's a bit of a strange technique but he's he's won with like he's won so many so many tournaments with different techniques really hasn't he like he's done like two technically done two or three swing rebuilds so therefore do you think that i mean i would probably make the argument that he's focusing too much on his technical ability and it's probably almost affecting his natural ability 
Yeah, but do you think his his rebuilds were more down to kind of injury prevention than they were for? I don't know. If you like watch his, fir- his his first his first rebuild, I think was totally justified. I mean, where he like the amount of ball control that he had around like the early two thousand stuff was like a joke. But then after that, I think it was just kind of a little bit unnecessary, really. Yeah, I think, and that's a pretty um, common opinion, isn't it? I think, when, well, when he left Butch Harmon, he then Hank started Haney, working yeah. with Hank Haney, didn't he? And then that was, that was probably the weirdest. Maybe. Uh, to be honest, his swing, I think his swing with Foley was really good. But then, like, I don't, you need, he's put, put so much strain on his lower back, didn't it? Uh, mm. Do you know, I I find interesting, guys. Like to, to jump in, like listening to you two, like I to the naked eye to me, and obviously I'm not a I'm not a trained golf professional, but I couldn't really notice a difference between the two. Like to me, it just looks like an awesome swing, and it looks like he's just bulked up over the years. Um, what I would say, go on, Matt, carry on. No, no, that that was that that was the point Do I was going to make. Like it's it's interesting to listen to you guys because you guys naturally look at a lot more golf swings. Um, and even if I'm looking at my own swing, for example, like I'm not too technically minded. Um, mm. So when it comes to making kind of subtle changes, like for me, I'm all about feel. I need to be able to feel something and feel what I'm doing. Um, so it's interesting to hear you talk about how he's changed his swing because, you know, to, to the naked eye, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, you know, it doesn't look like too much really happened. No, to the to the naked eye with Tiger. To be fair, if you actually look from address to impact, there, it ha- hardly has changed. Really, most of the kind of aesthetic changes have been in follow through with Tiger. Yeah, I agree. I'd say the only the one of the biggest changes he made really was was in general was his first one, wasn't it? Really, his first one with Butch Harmon, where like he was so out of control of his legs and his hands got like way behind him, so he just had to like flip it pretty much. So she hit it miles mm. at like, and he was about ten stone or whatever. But the, I, I agree. I think from him, from at impact from from there, he didn't really, he wouldn't have changed overly. But um, I kind of forgot what we were talking about. What were we talking about? No, you even you even see like with his. I, I always think the most notice, most noticeable differences with Tiger have been post impact. Um, there was the Hank, the movie did with Hank Haney through follow through, and e- even the most recent yeah. ones, Protect His Back, um, has been post impact. They're the ones you'll notice more. I'm just yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. From he's not Matt's point of view. So he can't. I think there'll be loads not, of people. He's saying, not restricting. Yeah, he's not restricting either. his back as much as he like. He's just kind of. Do you know what I mean? He's he's not he's he's got a bit more feels like he's got a bit more hit turn in his in his swing now. Like he's not restricting his lower half against his upper half as much. He's kind of protecting his back no. a little bit. No, I agree. It looks pure though, whatever. There's not been one tiger swing. Yeah, I must admit I loved the harm swing back in the day. That was awesome. Yeah. I even like the Haney one, which I didn't yeah, see that the point was very in pointless. Doing. But like I was going to, but back to the, my original point, I would say that he's, if he'd have just done, if he'd have gone the Rory route and pretty much just stuck with Birch, I I dare say I think he would have potentially won more majors. I agree, totally. Because but, 
think everyone yeah, thought but that then, then so as well, to put they? that into the actual question that we got. So therefore, I'd think that he was he was letting his technique get in the way of his already natural ability. Mm. And that's the other thing that that you can throw into this this whole debate. Going back to the original question was, you know, you've got technique which you can teach. You've got, um, you know, the athleticism and, and the fitness side, which to a degree you can kind of train out of people or train into people, whichever way you want to look at it. But you've also got that that kind of that natural gift, which I think you kind of need to possess to kind of make it at the top level. Um, you know, the Dustin Johnsons and the Ian Poulters of this world, for example, are, you know, people that are maybe sit outside the bracket. Like, I know Dustin Johnson's crazy, right? He could have played any number of sports. And I think that guy is just, it's just a, a naturally gifted athlete. Um, and then you've got someone like Ian Poulter, who's, you know, would never be the fittest guy, would never be technically the best, but he's just got that pure grit and determination and the will to win, which you can also throw into the mix as well. So yeah. it's an interesting, it's an interesting debate. I think it's more, I think it's more than just the two factors, but yeah, I would lean, I would lean, Towards the technical side myself personally, yeah, I yeah, agree, I think we've all kind of led that way. But I think I like think like you say, I think if you have if you have the technique, you're you're never gonna struggle, are you? Really, I don't think that makes any sense. I mean, you can. No. I mean, I've obviously I've played with guys that have got great technique, but their mental game is terrible. So you do need a bit of you do need mm. a bit of everything, and obviously so much. So it's. Oh, of course. But I do. think if you have the technique, then that definitely that's a that's a great place to start, isn't it? If you get the technique, good. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So we are we are swinging towards that one. Even me sitting on the fence. If I was going to fall off, it'd be right. that way. Good question, though. There we go. Thanks, Kieran, for the question. I hope that kind of summed up our opinion to a point. Probably <laughs> yeah. none the wiser. Yeah. <laughs> we, went, we, where we went with that. We digressed in many different ways. <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. So, I mentioned earlier that we were going to um, talk you through how we would save the Open because we're a little bit sad here that every major has a new date. The, the Masters is coming in November, isn't it? Um, the US Open, September, forgive me if I'm wrong, and the PGA somewhere around the same time. But no, we haven't got a new date for the Open. And I guess the RNA have looked at it from a logistical point of view and just don't think it's possible um, because if we, late, we leave it late enough in this country, the weather's going to be awful. There's not going to be enough light in the day. It's a big field, et cetera, et cetera. But there's got to be a way to get us a 2020 Open, has there not, lads? And um, kind of snooping around Sam's Twitter, he had a good conversation going the other day and he came up with a few good ideas and I wanted him to share them with the listeners. Yeah, well, basically, um, obviously, the 2020 Open is meant to be at St. George's, um, which is literally, when I say it's a fence, I mean, it's a knee-high fence. It's separated by another championship golf course, which is Prince's Golf Club. They actually, and they've actually already host, uh, hosted the Open, sorry, in uh, 1932, I think it was. It's another championship golf course. They do... Yeah, they do open qualifying um, venue, isn't it? They do open, final yeah. open qualifying there. Um, they have done for a while. Um, so, basically, my suggestion was, because, obviously, we, we spoke about it in previous pods, haven't we, where, obviously, the, 
the the open is like 144 in a field um whereas the masters would be closer to sort of 85 90 so therefore especially in mm-hmm. the uk as well if you start to put it later on in the year you're going to really struggle to light for the light so i thought why not do a two course open just just one time and you could do it in the winter you could do it pretty much any time couldn't you the, the courses are going to drain well i'd arguably even played better if you did it in yeah. october time um one two just for one one time only do a two course open one round on each course then a cut then um then you can play the final two rounds at st george's can't you on the saturday sunday Thoughts, Agreed. boys. Thoughts. I think it's a great idea. I think it's a great idea. That's why I wanted you to say it to our uh, millions of listeners. Because <laughs> um, many of many <laughs> of work at start the a petition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we get a petition going. Matt, what are you thinking? If anyone's going to disagree. No, I don't think I'm going to disagree. I mean, I, I think there's there's other ways that we could maybe, or they could help themselves to to have something played. And, and the size of the field is is one thing. Um, you know, there's I know we might have mentioned it in a previous podcast. Like, uh, there's there's a lot of people that kind of just turn up for the open, like past champions and stuff. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm I, I do I do like it. It's nice to see, you know, oh, past past open champions come out, but. If you deep down know that you're not going to be competitive, like in my opinion, like just normally you, you kind of feel like you're taking away a space from somebody that could be more competitive, but at the same time, like more so than ever this year, like just step aside and, you know, if you could trim that field by 20, I, 25, 30, I don't think you're, you're not going to get as many. I don't, I don't think it'd be as many people as you think, mate, to be honest. For in that regard, like there's not going to be. I doubt there'd be 25 people, 20 people that are entering it through a past exemption. Do you know what I mean? I don't think you get that quite that many. What do you I reckon? reckon like five, ten, to be honest, are people that aren't exempt, mm. is it? But, they, but yeah, still, they still yeah, get exactly. rid of about. But 10. I think you, you still, especially if you if you're thinking of doing it around like October time, I think you, you're still going to struggle to. To, to get yeah. to get people in on one course because obviously they'll be they'll be exactly yeah, no, already handed out and stuff they do one for like like there's they do some of the opens the other opens like the South African Open get like two or three spots then um, then there's like a couple yeah. of others like the the Asia Open get a few spots so there's already like quite a lot of spots that have been handed out. Don't yeah. you get a lot of those have been they, paid they, I think they have they were they were like one of the first few events on the European tour, like oh, January, really? December. Yeah. You always get that, that swing down there early because mm. of the weather. Uh, but you have to get some, like there must be some, well, yeah, for, for some tournaments yeah, for example, that will not end up cancel, getting played. They can totally cancel the qualifying, which they already had, obviously. So that's another, that's 12. Yeah. I think that's 12 spots. Um, which you could put back, mm. uh, which you, which you would, which you wouldn't necessarily need to do if you wanted to, you know, obviously, that's what I play in to try and get into the open. But if you wanted to cancel it in order to get an open in, I, you know, I don't think people could really moan about that. No, no. There, there is a, there is one other course down there that's uh, also in close proximity to uh, Royal St George and St Prince's, and that's uh, mm-hmm. Sink Yeah, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
you know, you could even call on them, for example, and you could have, you know, instead of doing it over two courses, you could do it over three courses, like they do the Dunhill Links, for example. Obviously not a pro-am format, but there's nothing to stop players saying... We know you, you know, don't want a pro-am format. One of... <laughs> No, no, we've, we've done that. That was so. That was so. Episode one. Um, <laughs> no, but you know, you, you could have you could have people playing playing around the golf on each of those three, and then having the final round back at St George's. So you're playing that twice, um, and then you're playing St Courts mm. and Princes. Um, so that's that's another option as well to throw to throw two. You know, to throw yeah. another course. My, in the mix one of as my well. May, well, one of my. Well, I don't think it will happen. But one of the reasons why I don't think it will happen as well is. The those golf courses can be quite, you know, obviously they're not known for being the most progressive. Like for example, um, <laughs> the the British Amateur a few years ago, I played in it when it was at Hillside, and this is a similar situation over there. Like Hillside and Royal Birkdale are literally separated by a road, so they pretty much run adjacent to one another. And um, I think it was about hmm. four or five years before Birkdale hosted the British Amateur. And hillside supported. So there's two courses. So you play a round of stroke play on each course, top 64, then go into a match play around the main course. So there was a round of stroke play that was hosted at hillside, which they did for the Royal Birkdale British Amateur. So when it was hillside's turn to then host, Royal Birkdale then refused to host it for hillside, even though, even though hillside had oh, done really? it for them sort of not long before because they didn't want to be seen as a secondary golf course. Yeah, yeah, yeah the supporting, supporting act. So, for, for, well, don't get me wrong, I don't think Prince's, because it's not on the road anymore, I don't think they're obviously not going to turn it down, but I can see, I'd see St. George's not being overly enamoured with the idea, just because it would potentially take the spotlight off of them. Yeah, but I think to get it on, but then obviously St. George's yeah, that would be next year anyway. anyway. But I think a winter open just that would be awesome, just like freezing cold. I think it would be awesome as well. The course will be the courses will still be in great nick. Yeah, they they will because they're the mm. kind of courses that are in good nick up all well, yeah. pretty much all the way through the winter as compared to what we're kind of we're we're used to, um, but. But they drain so well, they're perfect, and it would be such a great spectacle to watch those guys play a winter open. I think it'd be a real eye opener. I think it'd be one of the best viewing spectacles, especially from in the walls of your own <laughs> living room. <laughs> I think it'd be one of the best ever. I honestly do. I think it'd be great. The only downside to it, I mean, like, it's nice, it's nice to see people struggle. Like, it's nice to see the pros have a struggle up from time to time, but. You, you do run the risk being so close to the sea. You do run the risk of it kind of just being a bit of a non-spectacle. Like I don't think I'd want to watch them. You know, if it's getting to the point where it's almost unplayable. I don't think I don't like, think you would. Mm, we a sure. few years ago that we my first year that I played Euro Pro, we the venue that we were going to do for Tour Champs or something they didn't they pulled out or something like that. So we did our Tour Champs at Prince's in like the last week of October, and. For three rounds, I think fifteen under one. So yeah, <laughs> easy course. Cool, I think it's easier than St George's, to be fair. <laughs> but you, I think, I think you'd be shocked at the scoring could potentially be still pretty good. Uh, and also, like St George's and Princes would just have to react. And if it's really, mm. really bad, you just don't trick it mm. up as bad as you would have done. 
you know, move the pins in a little bit, move the tees forward a little bit, and just like don't make a mockery of it. Like they know they they know what they're doing. Those committees know what they're doing. They could still make it good viewing, even if the weather was hideous. Totally agree. I'm on board. So we're on board. The Swingers Club are going to try and make the Open <laughs> happen this year. Final push. So if you have got if you have got connections in the RNA, do send them our way. Send them a link to the podcast. This is our um, this is our application to to get it going. <laughs> get behind us! Oh, I can't see this going very far. Um, we 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 want to see it. You got you got no excuses. Got absolutely no excuses. No one's got anything else to do, so we might as well all petition for the Open to go ahead, and then we'll still be in lockdown in September, November, and uh, it won't happen anyway. But there you go. Don't, don't we we can we can at least try. <laughs> if not, we'll have to have it um, around around Hard Hardlow and Le Maire, Matt, because yes. France have opened their golf courses. Yes. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on from that. A new feature, because we've had so many suggestions and questions from, from you guys listening. So we've got a new feature. We're calling it Quick Fire Questions. So we're not going to spend 10, 15 minutes arguing the toss on these ones. We are just going to fire out our answers in a fairly reasonable amount of time. So I'm going to start. Are you I'm ready, ready. Lads? Go on. They don't have to be that quick fire. The first one is a question from Mark Beer. It come in on Instagram, and it is mainly for Sam. And you'll know why. He, he's asking, what is the difference between a Euro Pro player and a Tour player? And do you still have aspirations Me to personally. take that step? Okay. Yeah. Um, to be honest, Euro Pro is a really strange tour. Like, the difference between the very top guys on Euro Pro and some of the worst guys on Euro Pro is like huge to be honest with you um yeah, yeah. some mm. of the top guys honestly genuinely a few years could be little over a year removed from playing on the tour um like bradley dredge mm-hmm. played a couple of times like for a season when he he, he was struggling uh stuart manley if you quite a few guys that have come pretty much straight from the main tour to the euro pro if you have a really bad year you totally bypass the challenge tour and come all the way back um so right. the top guys, honestly, there there is there is really not a huge huge gap. I mean, you talk, but I'm talking, I'm not talking between like Rory, DJ Brooks, those guys. I'm talking probably your top 200 to 300 player in the world that are making a living on the European tour at the minute. Um, I would honestly say there's not a great deal of difference, really. Um, Obviously, it's just I think that the, the top players will genuinely have one aspect of their game which they know is a strength, and then they'll just kind of play around that. For example, if you're, you know, if you're, you know, your a strength of yours is kind of iron play, mid iron play, whatever, then you'll probably play slightly more conservative off the tee when others would be more aggressive if driving was an as was a strength, for example. Or if putting's a strength, you hit to yeah. the fat of the green, you fancy your chances from. 10 to 20 feet or whatever. So it's kind of, I think a lot mm. of it is more kind of how they understand their own game. And it's kind of a, a lot of the, the top guys who I've played with, who have gone on to, to do well on tour or whatever is kind of like this, like always have this sort of calmness around them a little bit, kind of always look so assured, even if they've hit a couple of bad shots or 
you know, never never look overly flustered. Sort of seem to have a bit of air of calm about them, really. Um, so that's just kind yeah. of really my my uh, my style. Yeah, that's kind of what that's I've what seen. See. With, well, that's my experience, really. Yeah, that's really cool. I'll, that's not where I was expecting you to go. I don't think so. I found it quite interesting, and I hope Mark that that answered answered your main question. He also asked, um, "Do you still have aspirations to take that step yourself? What's what's the latest?" Uh, in camp well, for me, forward? obviously, I'm a little bit older now, so I'm now married, and I'm probably going to start a family within the next couple of years. Um, so I'm not quite. Whereas in my sort of when I first turned pro in my sort of early twenties or mid early twenties, really, I was kind of, I was kind of going, I would, I'd be going at it like full throttle. I'd, if there was a tournament to be played in, I'd just swipe the credit card and I'd just be off. Like I'd just do it. Um, whereas mm. I'm not quite in that same situation now, really. Um, I've been fortunate in the last couple of years where I've had people help me out, I've, um, which I should probably really shout out. There's a guy, guy called, guy called Dave Withers. Yeah, please. Um, he's MD of Izeki Tractors. He's helped me out the last couple of years, which has been amazing. There's a guy called Andy Goodwin at the club. He's helped me out a lot. And um, even a good mate of mine, Matt Lockwood, he's given me, given me a little bit of help as well. And, and that sort of thing. Whereas now I kind, of, I kind of rely on that a lot more than what I would have done in years past. I would have, um, beforehand, I'd have just literally just played all, all summer. And then if I racked up a bit of debt, I'd have done some work through the winter and kind of, basically repeated the process really um whereas now i can't really quite make that decision unless i kind of get some financial help really which is not a great position to be in really sort of grown man sort of feel like you get your begging bowl out which is it's not a great overly great feeling but the fact that some people have been willing to help out um then that for example made me able to play the last couple of years so, for example, so if, yeah. you know, I'm not sure what's going to go ahead really this year. My, all the Euro Pros cancelled. I assume that tour school is probably not going to go on, but you, by that I mean European tour school. Um, I've played in that the last like five, six years. I've made it to second stage most, pretty much every time nearly, um, but never made it to finals. But if that was to go ahead and one of, for example, one of those three guys would have helped me out, then I probably, you know, I would, I would give it a go again just because... Because, to be honest, I don't genuinely feel I'm sort of a million miles off it. So, mm. No, that's brilliant. No, I'd agree with you. I don't think you are either. Oh, there yeah. you go. What an insight. Cheers, Sam. I, and thanks I, again, I, Mark. I think, I think we can go deeper on that another podcast. Yeah, I agree. Give <laughs> Sam more <laughs> than the grilling. <laughs> No, you know, I've 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 played with Sam and I've I've you know I've seen some of his scores and I, I I maybe take a slightly different different look on it from a from an outsider looking in. So I think it could be quite an interesting discussion actually. What do you <laughs> yeah. just want to get your own back for him, Sam? That you can shoot nine. No, 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 just, no, just, 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 no, 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 um, that would suggest to me that Sam has got what it takes, mm. but I've also seen some things that would suggest to me that maybe that's where, as an outsider, I have that perception, perception of is that an area that Sam needs to work on? And it's it's interesting listening to what Sam says and kind of me having my 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 experience with it and and even at, was it where, where what was it the tour score at um, Stoke by Nolan Sam when I followed you around for sure I was there like. 
I, I don't think I've ever seen anyone have a, a more horrendous break um, of on, on what I saw that day. Oh yeah, that's um, horrible. You know, and it's yeah, and I think it's I think it's how our people deal with that as well, and how, how people can bounce back from stuff like that. But yeah, well, it's, it's interesting. Well. So yeah, maybe maybe <laughs> save that up. another one. Yeah, because that that sounds good to me. That Even juicy. if it's just like a little bonus midweek, like thirty minute podcast of you know. Just pulling <laughs> Sam apart. Yeah, yeah, no, sounds good. Sounds good. Let us know if that's what you want to hear, guys. But anyway, let's move on because we've got another uh, question here from Peter Mann on Twitter. And he asks, uh, what golf balls do you use and do you believe the hype that comes with them? Who wants to get us started on golf balls? I'll, I'll take this one. I'll take this one. So do, do I believe the hype um, to an extent? Yes and no with the hype. So there is a difference between buying a premium golf ball at 40, 45 quid a dozen and a cheap 12, 15 pound a dozen box of balls. Like there is 100% a difference. What, I, what I'm what i also a big fan of, so I use a Callaway Chrome Soft. I've used a Callaway Chrome Soft since Bridgestone left the UK market a good few years ago. Um, and mm-hmm. before then, I used Bridgestone balls religiously for two or three years. And the reason being is because I went and had a ball fitting with Bridgestone. And they told me, this is the model that we recommend for you. It wasn't a hard sell. It wasn't a, you know, a guy turns up in a van with, you know, a hundred dozen balls in the, in, the, in the back of the van trying to flog them. It was take two of these balls away, try them. If you like them, go and buy some yourself. Um, and just having that confidence back in the day of somebody telling me that they recommend that ball for me. And I know titlers do it at events and stuff. Knowing that you've got a ball that is kind of designed for you or not necessarily designed for you, but is, is kind of fit for you. Just just like you go and have a club fitting, go and have a ball fitting. There's nothing wrong with doing it. Um, and if you went and got 10 different golf balls and hit them on a Trackman or a GC2, you will get different numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah but then Bridgestone left the UK market and that's exactly what I did and I, I put a load of different balls up against the Bridgestones that I had left and the Chrome Soft came out the closest so I just moved over to that and it kind of gave me that confidence that I was still using the right ball for my game um, and it also gives me that consistency like that I, I do get to test new balls from time to time with Golf Shake but I'm not going to you know, make a switch unless I see something absolutely drastic because I like the feel, I like the touch, I like the consistency that using the same ball has for my game. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not a switcher, I'm not a changer. Um, and I don't know if you guys have got any other, any kind of different outlooks on it. Yeah, I have. Uh, I've, used, I've used the Strixen, uh, what is it, Z Star XV for the last like four or five years. But I'm actually, that was pretty much because I got them for free, really. Um, but um, my deal mm-hmm. with them, is, I don't think is is gonna is gonna be. Well, we don't think I've got it this year. So basically, I'm in the I'm a full free agent essentially. Um, so I probably will test the balls <laughs> to be honest, and and see what and see what comes out on top. But I totally agree with Matt. Really, when I think ball fitting is such a like underrated thing. I think it's one of those things that nobody does. And most of most of your local pros, if they've got access to fit if you do the fitting then they'll end up you know if you want to buy a dozen of your a a dozen of the balls you get fitted for quite often they take some of that cost out of the fitting or whatever so there's there's quite often and it's just easy easy way to to gain yardage i see a lot of guys using like you know like a normal pro v1 which is 
I mean, unless you swing it, unless you're swinging it over probably 105 miles an hour driver, you're not getting, you're not swinging it fast enough to compress that ball where you're going to be getting the most yardage out of it. You want to be using a much firmer ball to get that, to get the most out of your drive. So I actually genuinely think that it's, it's a bit of a, it's a thing that nobody really does. It's not really sexy to have a ball fitting, but it's quite often easy, easy way to improve your, your game in general, I think. Fair enough. I, I don't disagree with that. I've never been fitted for a ball, but I, um, I, I've got no reason not to recommend anyone to do it. My um, kind of like ball opinion is like far more cut and dry. Like the, the Pro V1 is the best golf ball in golf. And that, that's not my opinion. That is a fact. It comes out in testing every single year. So if, you, if, if money is no object, you just use a Pro V1. It's as simple as that. If money is an object, then then you, you play around, you find one that you like the look of and you like the feel of. Because if, I mean, Matt, you're using the Callaway. Yeah. Are they a similar price point to the Pro V? Uh, they they were. So when I first started using them, one of the one of the things that did attract me to the Chromesoft as well was the price. But when mm. they went from, I think it was 2018 ball or 19 ball, they went to graphene. Um, and I think that bumped the price up slightly. So I think I think you can still get them for maybe thirty quid a dozen, thirty five a dozen. Um, which you can't with a Pro V. Which which you can't with a Pro V. So they are still. And look, you know, I know that there are there are always deals and stuff to be out at had if you if you shop around and stuff as well. But um, yeah, you know, look, I'm I'm with you, Joe. There's a reason that Pro V ones and TP fives are you know the most expensive balls because they are on the top of the range. Um, you didn't. You didn't. You didn't. You know, go, you I, didn't I, I still wouldn't TP5 use TP5 in that conversation. You just literally went Pro V is the best by Pro V, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So you're talking I, like. So you're talking are, basically. Out, if you like a firmer ball, use a Pro V X. If you like a softer ball, use a Pro V normal. Yeah. Yeah. And then that is that is all your marginal gains covered because you know you're using the best ball. And did you know how golf balls are tested, by the way? Are they not? Are they not still tested by that uh, golf golf robot thing? A robot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And at a certain distance, um, I don't, I don't know whether this. So don't quote me too much on on this yet. I don't know whether it's fifty yards or a hundred yards, but at a certain distance, that ball is like stopped by a computer, and you see where it is. And you hit, you hit it like a certain amount, and obviously, there's no golf ball is perfect yet, so there will be a tiny bit scattered, but a window is drawn around those balls. And the Pro V1 has the smallest window all the time. Does that make sense? I, I can't remember who did it, but I did see I did see one very in-depth testing where they tested about fifty different brands of balls, um, not just brands, but like models within the within the brands as well. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I think the, it might have been the, the Callaway ERC come out extremely high. Um, across all categories, so like they will take price into account as well. For example, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think uh, as a as an all rounder, that that did come out quite quite well as well. Interesting, mm-hmm. though. Good topic. Yeah, it could is talk a good topic. You could, yeah. So we'll wrap it up. I, I I don't I don't know that I do believe the hype. Um, if I'm being honest, I just know I just know if you're into kind of marginal gains and you want to make sure you've got the best, then there is only and one just option. a little side note on that. Really, I think I I'm pretty much ninety percent sure I, I more than likely will be using a Pro VX this year. There you go. So yeah, if I get to play get golf. some golf this year, yeah, 
Absolutely. And I will carry on using the normal Pro V1. Um, anyway. Anyway. So, we have one more to get through. Now, Sam, can you... Yeah, it's Charlie. Well, Charlie Marks. Over, I don't have a name yeah. on this. Charlie Marks with another... This is such a cool question as well. What one rule change would you make? If you could change one rule, what rule oh, would I know you change? I know mine straight away. I know mine straight away. I know mine straight away. Really? I've got to reckon anyone. What about some of them might be the same? I, I reckon. Right. I reckon they're they're going to be of a similar. I think a similar thing. So I, I, my mine would be if your if your ball's in a bunker and it's in an unraked footprint. Um, I think you should be able to get relief out of that. Mm, yeah. Okay. Okay. It's not, my, it's not mine. Okay. My, no, mine is it not? What's yours? Yeah, no. a, a mulligan. A my mine is if you <laughs> if you are on in closely mown area and you're in a divot, I think you should get relief. Yeah, that would be a very close second. Just because I think if you if you if you're in play, if you've ripped one down the middle, or if you therefore, or if you've done the right thing, you've chipped out. If basically if you're in the fairway, you've not done anything wrong, are you? Therefore, you shouldn't you shouldn't be punished. Yeah, you no. get punished. You shouldn't get punished, and I, I, I agree with both of them. Um, and and that, now I'm about to say mine. I wonder whether it has already changed, but I'm gonna say, you're not about go, to say, go ahead and say it anyway. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm going with the Mulligan one. No, um, when you are in a bunker that is so waterlogged that you can't drop anywhere in the bunker, you have to drop outside the bunker and you get penalized a shot for it. Mm, okay. I don't think that's, that's a stupid rule. rule. You don't think that's still a rule? No, because technically, if you're getting relief from the water, yeah, um, from standing water, but there's nowhere in the bunker, what what can you do? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm sure that that's not a rule. Maybe some I'm of them sure, 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 and I'm let us know. Terrible with rules, but um, you don't go in any bunkers. <laughs> that's his problem. Sure, I'm ninety five percent sure that that rule is not is, is not the case. Hold on, I'm just, I've literally just done a fast Google of my life. If your ball comes to rest in temporary water within a bunker, you may drop it without penalty at the nearest point of relief within the bunker, no nearest to the hole. That rule, uh, it, oh, it's not telling us what happens if you can't drop it in the bunker. Um, It'll be like a cliffhanger for next week's podcast. It'll be a cliffhanger for next week. But that, well, certainly going back, there was a lot of rule changes at the start of 2019. If that one wasn't changed then, I've never, I've never ever heard that rule. rule I've never heard that rule. Is that really? Is that really a thing? Yeah. So, yeah, definitely, 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 and it's a Mm, stupid rule. Didn't know that. It's. uh, uh, Do you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna put my neck out, and say I'm sure it's still a rule, because you and I, Sam, have a a mutual friend who is a um, a referee at national events. Okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, we had this conversation, I swear we had the conversation last year after the 2019 rule changes and he said it's still the stupidest oh, rule in golf. Really? Oh, well, I'm sh- I'm, I'll be shocked. To be honest, that it could be because I think I'd imagine most most events that you would play in would deem a bunker to be out of play probably before you actually go and play. If you're playing a proper event, yeah. I'd imagine... They deem that bunker yeah. out of play, and they just they just loop a GUR sign around it, wouldn't they? Yeah, but uh, yeah, I agree. Oh yeah, that's, that's, to be honest, I'm I'm shocking with rules. Like everyone assumes that like, pros know the rules, don't they? But <laughs> I'm terrible. Yeah, I'm shocking at rules. 
but through through kind of most of our kind of golf players, yeah. referees everywhere, wasn't there? So mm. you just kind of just put your hand up. True. But there we there we go. They are they are our ones. So that pretty much concludes another jam packed podcast, lads. So all is a bit sad when it comes to an end. That's why they're getting longer and longer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyone got anything they want to throw in before we uh, love and leave our our listeners? Nothing no, more to add, to your honour. And neither from me. So I would just like to extend my regular thanks to everybody for for listening. The numbers are going up and up by the week. If you haven't left a review or five stars on on iTunes or Spotify, then we would really appreciate it because those things mean a lot to us and going forward with the podcast. Um, But apart from that, thanks very much. Continue to stay in your homes if you have to and stay safe. And we'll be back next week.